Sorry about that. I had to get a quesadilla for a snack before we could record. That's right. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 449 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Uh, as promised this week, this is Seth hosting. Uh, as not promised, I am not in Los Angeles at Dorkfest with everybody having a grand time watching planes. Uh, sorry. Oops. Got diverted. Uh <laughs> In more than one way. Uh, but I am joined by the ever-entertaining Mr. Fosma Mood. Foz, how you doing? Not too bad yourself. Um, you know, it, not where I was going to be, but also where I need to be. I the answer there. So uh called an audible Friday morning and basically turned around and came home rather than continuing, continuing my trip on to Los Angeles after some other bits. So um, all good, but sorry to miss everybody out in L.A. Uh, did look like a good time. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon. So got to see all the pictures of everybody. Then there's a ton of people out there. So that was pretty cool. Um, always a great event uh, that Brett and then the NYC aviation teams sort of cooperate on, but sort of don't. I don't entirely understand how that works, but whatever. Um, quick little bit of follow up. And unfortunately, Stephen is not here to uh, be disappointed. Delta, you may recall last week, we talked about how we thought there might actually be filing the flights to portland for real because uh to tokyo because they changed some of the pricing yeah oopsie they just revoked those lower fares so we're back to ten thousand dollar one-way tickets suggesting that they don't really plan to fly the haneda to uh portland row okay i mean well we'll have to see obviously um if they give up that one set of slots but so i guess the question is like what is their game well, either they give them up and then have to fight to get them back at a different place and probably lose. I don't know about if they lose or not, right? They can make an argument that the community would be better served with an additional flight from somewhere where they get better connectivity versus United almost certainly and now trying to get them for Texas or Guam, Houston or Guam, and American maybe trying to double up somewhere else. I would think that based on precedent, the DOT is going to try to find new airports for them, not old ones. So that yes, that is a risk of losing them. But if they hold out forever and then at the very last minute sort of file the fares and try to get people on the route to keep them, mm-hmm. it's not going to end well. And or they give them back very, very late and the DOT gets mad at them. So I don't know. Yeah. Right. Like if the if they get even if the I'm not even sure if like they gave them back today. If another air, if the DOT could reallocate them and another airline could use them this winter, because yeah, we're what six weeks away, seven weeks away. Yeah, which like that's not too close to the operations that they couldn't get the slots assigned on the DOT side. Other than the fact that the DOT typically does a, you get 30 days to file paperwork and then there's a response period, yada yada yada. But also like someone's got to go talk to the Japanese authorities and the airport authorities and gets like gate space and stuff. Well, I mean, let's be real. We, I, I the only real other uh, alternate option would be United. Right. Right. AA is not really expanding anything. Well, except for, you know, flights across the deep South to sort of try to compete with Delta. Yeah. But internationally, they're not doing much. Yeah. I mean, they have some things, but not year round stuff, at least growing right now. Right. They're doing a lot of the Cecil stuff, right. The Europe to New Zealand swaps and what, whatever. Anyway, yeah, that is interesting, but they're not exactly very nimble. Perhaps that's what I should. Yeah, say. and it'll be interesting to see 
fleet growth and allocation opportunities, you know, is who has opportunities for more aircraft to go long haul and who's got more 787s or A350s or 330s coming in the next year or two. Right. So anyway, sorry, Stephen, that's another ticket. You won't be able to book and not fly and refund. Uh, or maybe flying come days. He was, you know, I, I tempted him with that Thanksgiving trip. But anyway, um, on to new topics. No more Northern Pacific. Yeah, this one was interesting. Uh, they are now New Pacific because of trademark legislate, uh, lawsuit threats. Well, I, I, was, I was just surprised that it even was the trademark infringement. And the, and I, I guess BNSF owns it, but I just didn't realize it. And I'm like, how do you miss that? Uh, yes, right. You don't have someone do a a search before you do it. Right? You do have to get lawyers involved to sort of do the trademark search. And what are we going to print out? What I'm surprised by on it is like there are definitely areas where the same term is used by companies in different industries, um, and even adjacent use cases in the same industry. Medical. I know of a particular example where like two different medical type companies used the same product name, but they were sufficiently different in the types of stuff they did that it was sort of okay. Um, and then eventually there was a financial settlement and I think one stopped, but, um, there's ways to do it. I, unless BNSF is keeping the Northern Pacific name for like, I don't know how you make that a infringement for like all travel everywhere. Mm -hmm. Was it a, but I don't remember, was it a passenger railroad or, or was it a freight railroad? BNSF is cargo. Right. But was the Northern Pacific brand that they were trying to protect pre previously operated as passenger, probably? They, I, I don't know, actually. You know I mean, maybe they can make the argument as if they tried to move cargo on planes and cargo on trains. That's where the problem came in. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, except to your point of, huh, funny that they, no one bothered to check or thought they'd get away with it. So, I don't know. Uh, how much are you willing to lose on a prestige route? Oh, uh, not much. Yeah. Million dollars a week to fly to New York city. Seem like a good deal to you and in projected losses. Uh, you know, this goes back to the old Branson saying, right? If you want to be a millionaire, start as a billionaire and start an airline. Yeah. Uh, and if you're the government of Bangladesh, uh, I'm not sure you started as a billionaire, but, uh, Bilan Bangladesh airlines, which is run by the government has, filed for approval to relaunch service to New York City. Okay. To the United States in general, with New York as their first route. Uh, the filing is amusing in many ways. One of them is that they interchangeably say Newark and JFK, and they actually like swap between the two various times in the filing. But they also recognize uh, Bangladesh is considered a level two airport or air country on FAA's rating system. Mm-hmm. So they can't actually have U.S. flights anyways. Okay. Uh, they Last time they operated, so that for a period of time, they actually operated on their own, like through 2006, I want to say. They had their own DC-10s come across, uh, typically via Belgium, Brussels. Okay. And then, like 2010, 2011, they had a Egypt Air 777 wet lease that flew via Birmingham or Manchester, UK. Mm -hmm. And then they continued to have authorization to fly but said that it wasn't excuse me wasn't worthwhile because of the cost of running a wet leased aircraft but now they've got their own triple sevens or they they do have triple sevens they have their own triple sevens and 787s they think they can make it work with a 787 of their own 
They are going to fly the uh, Izmir Turkey, which is in central Turkey. Uh, Cool vacation destination, but it's not clear to me. It's not 100% clear to me if they have Fifth Freedom rights on the route, so they could pick up traffic for just the New York to Izmir nonstop. Mm -hmm. And they're going to operate six days a week. And they think it's going to cost them a million dollars a week in losses to run the flights for the first couple of years, at least. But like, why? Why do it or why are they going to lose money? Why do it? Prestige of being able to say you fly to New York. Yeah, but like, it's like, great. But what does it actually get you? Your nationals can now get to New York City on you know, their home country airline. Okay, so if the uh, other airlines in the region are in the indication, the locals are going to still avoid the local the local airline. Um, certainly some will. They did note like there's seven or so other airlines that offer one stop connections, and it's mostly Middle Eastern operations, Saudi, etc., Turkish, yada yada yada. The, one, the ones you would expect to have decent onward service from Bangladesh. Um, I'm with you. I, I think it's a little crazy, but uh. Also, some of the assumptions on it are very interesting, like $800 each way was the running fare that they predicted to make that million dollar loss. And it, it is a one stop flight, despite it being, you know, no plane change, whatever. All the others are one stop flights, too, and are typically selling advanced round trips for about $1,000. That's a random spot check, right? I didn't like look terribly into the details but google flights tells me that's about the average like okay. 30 days out kind of thing so yes yeah, some people will spend more than that but it was an interesting set of numbers to look at and be like oh okay well they, they, they somehow seem to think that's a good idea but yeah how, how you how do you drive a premium price point that's still money losing and still think it's a good idea is sort of crazy to me and it's like it's not that it's money losing because we're only going to have 40 percent load factors it's still money losing at 75 or 80 percent load factors so I don't know how that works out. Yeah. Well, yeah you're, I mean, is there a cargo element? Uh, the losses are including cargo. They do have a cargo plan, but it's relatively light, um, like 15,000 pounds, I think. And that the price point and whatever, it was not, that was, a, the losses were including a cargo element. And, I'm sorry, if you said, did they say what the load factor? Yeah, different? like 70 or 80, 70%, 80%. And that's based in part on their existing like on their history. Okay. It is interesting. They mention in the filing, uh, and I didn't quote, quote it correctly in my story, but they mentioned the filing that like, they don't really have a uh, route analysis software or anything else that they're using to do this. It's sort of like based on what we expect to happen, just on our intuition. So, you know, at least they admit they're making it up. Wait, let's be fair. Someone might have given them a magic eight ball. Hey, you never know. You never know. Um, it is worth it is interesting that uh, for Fifth Freedom service, they do have uh, Fifth Freedom rights via Istanbul. They can pick one uh, location. So it seems like probably it could work for Izmir as well. But those those agreements, you never know. Um, they do have uh, they do do Istanbul as a tech stop only for Toronto service currently. So. There is some North America precedent in this type of operation. Yeah, cargo is supposed to generate $36,000 per round trip, and excess baggage is supposed to generate 7597 which is a very specific number. It is? I wonder why so specific. Yes. And, yeah, 
we'll say this, how accurate it is despite its specificity. Um, yeah. So cool times, cool times. Um, also, $15,000 per hour operating costs for their 787 direct costs all in. So at least we know that. Yeah, cabin factor of 80%. Anyway. I assume they are not a business heavy. It's predominantly coach. Correct. Uh, trying to remember somewhere there. Do have a I do have a premium cabin um, on board. That was actually way back in the day when they did their last. They were the last DC ten operator. Yep. And when I went to uh, Bangladesh for the final flight and took it across to Birmingham via Kuwait and had the opportunity to meet with uh, some executives while I was in Bangladesh and talked to the guy in charge of catering and had a really interesting conversation about their premium offering. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they did, and they spent a lot of energy working, one of the things they did that was really cool, and I'm, I hope they're still doing it, is they basically started their own farm so they could manage supply chain for fresh foods, and including like chickens and eggs and everything for their catering. Um, and then they were the farm was successful enough that they actually had more than they needed. And they opened it up with sales to the outside general public, uh, but controlling quality. So that was, that was a neat little thing they did. Uh, but one of the other things they did at one point was try to have a fancy cheese plate dessert thing in business class. Okay. It turned out that cheese was so foreign to their local palate that no one understood what it was or why they were eating this stuff kind of thing. Okay. So they had to, they sort of, like spent a lot of energy and time trying to like come up with this cheese plate thing. And they're like, Oh yeah, actually none of our passengers really wanted that. We're not sure why we did it. So good times. Really good for them for trying. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Uh, United has cut a bunch of routes to China from the schedule and has formally applied to the DOT to not use them. Um, and we've talked a lot about slots to and from China over the past several months. Um, in this case, the United statement is basically saying, listen, the U.S. and China, have we have this bilateral agreement that says we're allowed to use all these slots, but currently we can't because of other stuff. We have to get this exemption approved or we lose these slots, even though we're not allowed to use them. So it's not that we don't want to fly there. It's that between you know the governments, you guys can't figure this out. And so obviously it'll get approved. But uh, we had talked a couple of weeks ago and I think United announced the nonstops from increasing some nonstop service for the upcoming winter. There's a bunch of other stuff filed. That's all a bunch of that's been pulled now. So it is scaling back. (laughs) So it's interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm very curious to see what happens with China longer term from a recovery standpoint. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges there. Um, and as we noted in last week's conversation about the three eighties, uh, where they are flying and what they're focused on has definitely shifted right there export market uh the asean i don't know asean block the southeast asian 10 country block yep is now the largest market not north america not europe but could that be for the a380s you mean in particular no, like trading partner in general hmm. uh, someone was suggesting that that just meant that things were being short stopped into that region and then reprocessed repackaged and exported onward but even still like that means China's missing out on some of that value add revenue premium, whatever for making the finished thing as opposed to the partial thing. Well, I mean, there's still a restriction in and out of China. So uh, could it just be to what you were just saying, right? Just the stuff's getting out of China via these other places. Yeah. 
I don't know. It, it was, it, it is interesting though, like, you know, just where, the, where their role is and how they're going to fit, um, in the global economy going forward. So, uh, Paris, Los Angeles gets a fifth airline as of next May. Fifth airline? Who else, other than Air France, who else flies this? Uh, French B, Air Tahiti Nui, uh, I want to say either United or American, and now uh, North Atlantic. I don't think United or American fly. Maybe Delta? Maybe it's Delta, um, which if it is, then that's part of the joint venture, so maybe it shouldn't have to fifth. But um, I looked it up when the news came out and wrote down the number, but forgot to write who they all are. <laughs> all good. Yeah. Uh, Nor- North Atlantic is going to operate six days a week as uh, the current plan. I say current plan because they have from time to time filed routes and then uh, you know, walked away from them. I could be wrong, but isn't this replacing something? Aren't they moving this, Some dropping some other route? It dropped San Francisco to London, and it doesn't seem like it's coming back, um, which someone noted like in the era of how how much is going on. Yeah, it's Delta's the other one. Um, Air France has like almost triple daily and Delta has single daily. And then the other two are like three or four times a week. Mm. Um, the, yeah, someone equipped, like if you can't, if you can't make money in the transatlantic market this past summer, what are you even doing here? Um, and maybe it didn't not make money, but it just wasn't as valuable as some of the other opportunities, but they are pulling back on San Francisco, I believe to London. So, yeah, some interesting bits there. Um, and Condor is also adding some transatlantic markets for next summer. Uh, Frankfurt to Miami and Frankfurt to Calgary. And that's fascinating. And they just got their first blue striped A330. Yeah. Is uh, Air Canada still flying Frankfurt Calgary or did they give that up? I would assume they gave that up. Air Canada, not on, not explicitly and not on purpose and whatever, appears to have pulled quite a bit out of Calgary. Because per perhaps because of WestJet, yeah, yeah. Discover, uh, which is a whole nother thing I meant to put in the notes that we should talk about, uh, is going to does have that route filed for next summer as well. So there is that's the Lufthansa group offshoot. So Lufthansa sort of flies it. Um, that's a lot of co- that mean adding Condor in as well. That's a lot of capacity in that market. When discovers the rebranded Eurowings. Right, well, it was Eurowings Discover, or it was Eurowings and Eurowings Discover, and now just plain Discover, and they have rebranded it. I still don't understand. For an, airline, for an airline group that says they're trying to get to simplicity, continuing to tweak that extra long haul, sort of fed by Lufthansa group, but not, it operates from the hub, but not, like, right, the whole point, at one, at one point, the goal of Eurowings was to have the long haul services not from Frankfurt and not from Munich. And to let Lufthansa take on the other ones, um, but now they have some long haul from Frankfurt. I don't know if they have from Munich, uh, but um, at least today Air Canada is still flying Frankfurt Calgary. Okay, they they do not have a file for next summer yet. If they're going to do it, okay. Yeah, um, but yeah. Do, now, do we think that Lufthansa is going to get sued by Discover Card? <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. To be, to, also, to be fair, the uh, font looks pretty similar. <laughs> I'll be a real jerk about it. Like, uh, yeah, this is. I'm actually just looking here at the number of markets that are scheduled to be flown 
I picked next May as a target. Uh, Eurowings Discover currently filed long haul routes uh, from either Munich or Frankfurt. So the non hubs are from the hubs mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, Mombasa, Orlando, Mauritius, Punta Cana, Fort Myers, Salt Lake City, Tampa, uh, Windhoek in Namibia, mm-hmm. Halifax, Calgary, and Zanzibar. It's almost like Lufthansa's uh, treating Discover like right, B- right. BA treats Gatwick. Interesting. Leisure markets. All leisure markets. Yes. Which makes sense, right? Don't have to have as premium a product. Don't have to do all those other things. Um, they just don't have the luxury of segregating my airport. Yeah. But it, it's real interesting to me that uh, they're not doing any... All of the Discover long haul is from uh, Frankfurt now. And uh, a couple from Munich. But where else would you put it? Berlin or something else. But like... That right. That the, the, at one point the plan was to not compete with your core long haul traffic and get the non hub stuff. And now it seems like they're back to the hub. But as you know, going for leisure markets and out of the hub instead of leisure markets out of non hub. Yeah, I don't. They're not really competing with themselves, right? I don't think any of those routes yeah. overlapped. I uh, almost certainly not. So is it really not Vegas, but Orlando? But I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't think that's even a risk, right? I think that, if anything, they're optimizing the operation instead of connecting someone through Berlin or Cologne or something. Yeah. Just, you've got all the feed in Munich and Frankfurt. You might as well just move the people through there. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any overlap on the destinations. Um, scrolling very quickly, there is not. But yet St. Louis gets mainline service. St. Louis still has mainline service. I don't understand that. Well, no one goes to St. Louis for fun, Foz. Good God, man. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, you would think people are escaping St. Louis for fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Doesn't have the leisure traffic inbound. I don't know. Um, that is an interesting interesting observation about, about the Gatwick analogy. I like that one. You know, I mean, Saint, I would understand St. Louis, Brussels. St. Louis, Frankfurt do, doesn't make sense to me. What about Brussels makes more sense? I'm curious. Anheuser Busch in Bev. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The beer, the beer shuttle, the beer shuttle. That'd be pretty cool. Um, then they can, you know, I guess because Condor doesn't have, or uh, God, not Condor. Sorry, uh, Brussels Airlines doesn't have uh, its own regional or uh, leisure operation. You think they could run it as a mainline? Or, I mean, did, or didn't Discover, or excuse me, didn't Eurowings at one point do some rest out of Brussels as well? Uh, I don't know. I don't think they do now, so. But they, I thought they did at one point, right? So, like, you could just as easily do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely don't now. Oh, and it would take me too long to figure out, as they did in the past. Right for a unit, the feed. Um, and, that's, and those are Lufthansa operations, so yeah. Um, what's next on here? Ooh, Max Retrofits. So we found out some additional details about the uh, Spirit Aero Systems Max rear bulkhead issues. Something like 500 screw holes per aircraft have to be inspected with X-ray searches. Oof. Um, that's bad. <laughs> you just make Polaris again. Yes. 
Um, so yeah, that's bad. Uh, what's interesting about it to me is they're saying it's a cup like three quarters of the planes on the ground right now need to be inspected that already produced like 150 of the two, 160 of the 210 waiting to go. I at least, at least they're not the ones in flight. Well, so here's my question is why aren't they? Tooling, something, a change in the tooling, something, a change. I mean, spirit error systems has been changing a lot too. Yeah. But I just, I can't figure out like when something would have changed that the planes that are on the ground need inspections with the planes in the air somehow missed those on like, just based on how many that are on the ground, how many were on the ground and ultimately re-delivered or delivered the first time um, over the last couple of years, wouldn't some of those likely have been part of the same production cycles that caused these issues? I don't know. It's, it's, there's some weird bits there to be. But in the end, United says they're going to deliver, or not United, yeah, sorry, uh, Boeing says they're going to deliver, deliver a few hundred, uh, 470. They're going to be towards the low end of their annual delivery target now. But still, things will get close. Yeah. And the and Airbus is, is over in Europe, opening up their three twenty one XLR fitting stations and getting ready to start producing those for real. For assuming you know certification and entry and service, and then I guess next year. Hmm. So, um, what did they, what did American Airlines do for catering? They opened a new facility at TFW. They have their own. They have their own now. That's interesting. It's a break from what everyone else is doing. I mean, the closest we had to that for a longest time was Chelsea Catering, which was Continental's yep. uh, subsidiary. And they sold that off, what, a decade ago now? No, like two or three years ago. They only sold Chelsea off of that recently? Yeah, it was right around the pandemic when they were getting the massive push for uh, unionizing the force. Ah. And, and, uh, and so because of that, I think they just said we want out. And just sold it to Sky Chefs. Okay, so it's an LSG problem now. Um, so American is going to self cater then at DFW. Yes. What I just don't know is it just premium or is it all cabins? Interesting. So I, clearly that means I haven't read the story yet. I have to find a link. I actually re- vaguely remember seeing it come through as an email while I was at the trade sh- a trade show this week and didn't have a chance to spell it and everything. Um, they uh, clearly have highlighted the catering side. Yeah, I mean it's I think it's a lot. It's the largest kitchen, at least in the U.S., if not in the world. 214,000 square foot building, in the largest in the country, three times the size of a football field. Excellent analogy, because I always measure my kitchens in football fields. Uh, it is the season, and they are in Texas. I get it. Uh, huh. Interesting. Yeah. Some very happy, smiling people in these photos that they released. <laughs> Better be. They're the press photos. <laughs> 15,000 meals a day produced, automatic storage and retrieval system, whisks, dishes, plates, and other items around the building on conveyor belts to reduce time catering teams spend waiting for them. A robotic machine loading soft drinks into the drawers and started inserted into beverage carts. 200,000 soda cans a day, or beverage cans a day. That's a lot. It is. So I guess it's, it must be doing all the cabins, then. So yeah, 15,000 a day has got to be include, including... Uh, coach and a hundred catering trucks uh to help get it all onto the trains uh the trains god i'm fried yeah. <laughs> onto the airplanes <laughs> yeah those things that go in the air whatever those are. you're still thinking bnsf sure i'll take that excuse i'm thinking i woke up from a nap not long ago and well you you had a rough day yesterday and well you're about in yeah you're in that 
Um, final topic on, I haven't entirely finished writing the story, but I guess, well, I, this isn't going to force me to do it before I release this show on Monday. Uh, there's a couple patent, uh, it's applications. They've been approved. A couple patents now filed that seem to reflect what the new single aisle Polaris product is going to be for United Airlines. And these are patents applied for by United Airlines and assigned to United, United Airlines. The inventors listed are all employees of Acumen, which is the seating design company okay. uh, based in the UK. And there are a couple very interesting things about the seats. So um, one of them is that it showed the drawing shows 14 rows in a 1-1 layout set at 49 degrees from the direction of travel. So this is a steep herringbone, if you will. Um, and over the summer, you may recall, Collins Aerospace announced their Aurora product, and it's understood to be American Airlines will be one of the operators of that on their A321XLRs for long-haul stuff. Uh, that is a similarly angled product, similarly herringbone Um This one is, a di- is slightly different. It, and if I remember correctly... The Collins product pitched at 34 inches. They are showing drawings of this new, uh, presumably United Polaris single aisle product to be pitched as low as 28 inches. And one of the ways they are doing that is through the addition of, and one of the patents specifically specifically calls out, a space sharing arrangement uh, in the... Uh, what they call it, the screen, which is basically what they're calling the divider, between a seat and the seat behind it. And so the idea is that basically, um, I don't know if you remember, many years ago there was sort of a how to share the middle seat armrest thing where like they you had a, like, a, a, low, a, a low part and a high part, and they were sort of split. Mm-hmm. It was basically like a C-channel that was glued onto the top of the armrest, and someone, so the person in the middle could like use the low part, the person on the aisle or the window could use the high part. It's sort of like that. Um, there's a cutout for arm level, and then it's sort of, and it's gracefully cut into the size and shape and whatever. Um, I'm sending you a picture so you can see of what I'm talking about. And then sort of above it uh, is the shoulder space, and they describe it basically as that, where... Um, I'm going to read this here. In the space-sharing region, the upper part of the screen may overhang the seat pan of the first seat unit, when the seat units are in the seating configuration, such an arrangement may provide shoulder space for the second seating unit without substantially impacting the usable space for the passenger in the first seating unit. And so, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, but that gets them a couple extra inches. So you can, you know, you think if you save two or three inches a row at 10 or 12 rows, that's an extra row of seats that doesn't take any space up. Are they, so are they getting 28 seats between the two doors? Is there a second door on the Max 10? There's got to be, right? Uh, I don't know. Is this my, so I guess that's a, so is this Max 10 or 321s? The 321s don't have a second door. I thought they do have a second door. They just don't use them as a loading door. So uh, older 321s do. As of the XL, by the time XLR comes around, it won't be. You can't get an XLR with it. I think even some of the, L, most of the LRs even today are not being delivered with it. Oh, uh, it's, it's ACF Airbus Cabin Flex is the uh, designation to remove that door. They re- you remove that door 
you add over wing exits and something right behind the wing, if I remember correctly. Uh, but that that is a factor on. I'm trying to see if the Max 10 has a second door. This is, I believe, this is going to be a Max 10 design at least to start. Also, United doesn't have any L- XLRs coming for like two years yet, year and a half. When they could put it on LRs though for transcons. I thought they only had XLRs and regulars, but not LRs in the order book. I'd have to double check that. But you could put on the regular ones for transcons. Yeah. Uh, I thought, and I guess it depends on if the Max 10s actually get delivered, right? Those aren't, those are <laughs> probably aren't going to get delivered till late, late next year, 2025 either. Um, yeah, because at, at some point, United is going to want their wide bodies back for the international stuff, right? The, the, those, the Newark, San Francisco, Newark, LA is, I'd say 75, 80% wide bodies, real. right? You know, they do have to get, I mean, but, and the Max 10 was supposed to have a, we call it the PS subfleet, and then it was something else, but, Project Beach or something like that, right? Um, anyway, yes, they they should want those planes back for a long haul. They definitely need it. Um, they keep announcing more routes, so you'd hope that they've got a plan there. But uh, it's interesting. The other, I will say there's a second factor that's in the patent application, which is for uh, wheelchair access. Mm-hmm. There's actually like three or four different designs that are possible that have all been included. And one of them is like, the thing that covers the footwell has a pin that releases it and it slides down and a passenger slides across that using it as a table. Uh, one has the entire like monument of the footwell and, and IFE screen pivot and rotate. One has that whole monument slide to make more space because the at ground level at 28 inches of pitch for the rows at ground level, it's a 12 inch wide gap to get in. And I mean, you can see in that picture, uh, there's very little space under the, in the footwell area. Uh, there's no way you're going to be able to store a bag down there. So at least you don't have to worry about sliding that through a 12 inch gap, but, um, and you start getting to this level of density in a, in the first class cabin, like they'll have big enough overhead bins, I'm sure, but you're going to start to fill them up with a carry on and a rollerboard personal item and a carry on. It's going to start to fill up with, because it's basically the same density as a first class cabin today. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, or close to it. This is not entirely the same. So you get one. No, it's half. You get one seat per twenty-eight inches instead of two seats per thirty-six inches on each side of the aisle. So it's a little less, but still, um, that'll be an interesting consideration. So, um, yeah. The but the other thing that's also interesting in the all the drawings is none none of it mentions doors for the suites. Well, I mean, I imagined the routes that they're going to fly these on, you don't necessarily need doors. I can't imagine any route that does necessarily need doors, but, you know. I mean, from a market competitive standpoint. Mm. Fair. Yeah. Um, You're probably right there. It'll be short, shorter haul premium that doesn't necessarily need them. Although, is not is American not doing doors on there? I thought they were for their new product. But on the 321s, I don't know. Nah, but for gotta find now america america the american's new flagship business product i thought even for the single aisle they announced with doors but um i'm trying to see if i can find it real quick uh i don't seem like that story about it uh flagship suites uh flagship suites but that's long haul i can't remember what it'll be for short haul uh well. yeah that that is a consideration uh oh yeah xlr flagship suite configuration uh s- 20 seats in a 1-1 layout and they uh, 
do have doors. So that is something to consider. And that is a that seat is uh, understood to be the Collins product. Yeah, looking at it, it is the Collins product. So, um, so similarly angled and right there that because it's not shown in the drawings doesn't mean it's not there. It just may not be relevant. Right. I mean, they're only going to submit what they have to for a patent. Yeah. And it could just be like, you can do it with a door or not. And the only thing I would say is like, somehow that has to slide out of the way when they do this pivot or whatever for the disability, for the wheelchair access. But don't worry, it'll be a garage door. Oh, fancy. It's actually funny. One of the, like, one of the, one of the, in the patent application, they're talking about because there's so many different options for this accessibility doors, like maybe this piece of, maybe one design has this panel fully being removed. One design has it sliding on rails. One design has it pivoting, like. All of those are different use cases that have to be called out in the patent to be all included. So no one else can say, oh, well, you removed yours, but we put ours on rails. So now we can beat your patent and use everything else that you had because ours is an improvement on yours. And they came up with all these designs and like they have to explain why. Like one was like, if it's removed, it might get lost in the cabin during the process. And then you wouldn't be able to fly because you can't put the piece back on. It's like, I mean, I guess things get lost all the time, but you'd like to think that while moving a passenger between a wheelchair and the seat, you wouldn't lose the panel inside the plane. You would hope. You would hope, but this is airlines and air world, so uh, good point. So you go to some outstation and they just take it off the plane thinking they don't need it? Yeah, someone picks it up like, oh, oh, we'll move this out of the way and just put it on the jet bridge so we can get everybody in uh, not break it, and then it never shows up again. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, and I'd, I would say on the United, on these new seats, my main question, and 28 inches is sort of listed as the default. They are the patent covers up to like a 34 inch pitched design. I start to wonder how much you can, how wide can the seat be and how much, how much, what do you get for the bed at that dimensioning? So that'll be an interesting, right? Like we already hear people saying, you know, these newer, as, as the seats get narrower and pitched tighter and, and, and it's, you know, back to coffin styles um, of beds, which when some lose some, you're still getting a bed on a single aisle plane. So, I mean, to be fair, are the new seats not already like coffins? Yeah. Like the the twin apple airs? Yeah. Or anybody else's product? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're smaller because yeah. they have to be to make it work. But people, it's on privacy, so you get higher walls. Right. But it's, but exactly. But you get the cocoon feeling anyway. So, yeah. Um, 75 to 78 inch long bed is what's being touted. So it's longer than a six foot bed. Given the way the, uh, footwell tapers, so you're not going to get full usage out of that, so it's got to be a little extra long. But uh, that's not too shabby in terms so of... So, if we know the length of the bed, can we figure out if it'll fit in a Max 10 or a 321? Uh, yeah, Pythagoras says yes. I, uh, that's what I'm thinking. You got a calculator handy? I know we'll try to figure this out. <laughs> We're going to do this on the fly. Why don't you do this in your article? Yeah. Um, no. Um, all right. Well, now that Math has entered this conversation, we are going to end this episode. <laughs> because Lord knows neither no one wants to listen to me try to figure out A squared, B squared, and C squared. Um, but I uh, do want to tease out for our Patreon supporters. We've got a couple other stories coming up. Some follow-up on engine issues. Uh, both the fake engine maintenance company out of the UK and uh, Pratt & Whitney 777 failure. Um, some code share stuff in Asia. And I spent four hours on the ground unexpectedly in Rochester yesterday on my first diversion ever. And I'm going to tell you some more about that experience. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, hope you all stick around for that. 
Uh, if you need more details on how to support us on Patreon, uh, I guess patreon.com and search for us or read the show notes and there's links there or I don't know actually how to get there otherwise. Um, I'm pretty sure that covers it. The big deal. Um, leave us some feedback if you have thoughts on how we're doing. Uh, you can sort of Twitter slash X post at us, but I don't check that nearly as often because it's harder now. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Have a great trip. Take care.